0: you have your Bibles with you, if you would open them up to Nehemiah chapter 8. Let's all be in the Bible this morning. If you didn't bring your Bible, then maybe there's one right in front of you. There should be. If you could grab that one, open it up. Nehemiah chapter 8. Almost all Bibles now have a table of contents in the front. You can find it. Just go to the middle of your Bible and hang a left. You're going to find Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 8. My aim always as a pastor is to help us to become a people of God's Word. And so I want to encourage you to constantly be bringing your Bible, be in your Bible throughout the week. In fact, let me encourage you this morning, even at the beginning, with this story that as far as I understand is true, and it's a phenomenal story. It's about a French girl, a young French girl who had been born blind. Now, I want you to think already, what what would it be like to be born blind? And of course, she learned to read by touch. But it was when a friend gave her a Braille copy of the Gospel of Mark. And she read it so much that her fingers became calloused and began to become insensitive. And so in order to try to put feeling back into her fingers, she actually took a knife and cut the tips of her fingers trying to get the calluses off of them so that she could feel. And it worked for a time, but then the calluses became replaced by permanent scars. Even more insensitive. It came to the point where she could not feel the letters anymore with either hand. And she sobbingly gave the Bible a goodbye kiss, saying these words, Farewell, Farewell, sweet word of my Heavenly Father. She kissed the Bible and uttered that prayer. And to her surprise, she discovered that her lips were even more sensitive than her fingers had been. And so she spent the rest of her life reading this great treasure with her lips. It's a true story, as far as I understand So how do you love the Word of God? Honestly, let's just engage this morning with honesty. Listen, if you put your mind into park or neutral, then you're going to leave here this morning the same way you came in. None of us should do that. Let's put your mind in gear. Let's interact with the voice of God through His Word. Just let my words recede in the background. Let's just bring out what the Word of God is saying. And as you're interacting with what God's Word is saying and what is written there, then interact with this question that I think God would have all of us to ask ourselves. How much do you really love God's Word? Honestly. You know, there are some sober questions that we could ask, for instance, in the morning when you get up. Do you go to God's Word or do you go to the news? Do you get trapped in meaningless information and then by the time you've got left to get to to God's Word, there is no more time? When's the last time you've really memorized any Scripture? Or when's the last time that you've really picked up the Word of God with excitement and ready to hear from God and live by what He's going to say? Because if you saw, if you remember from last week, we saw in chapter 8 the first few verses. That the way you approach the Word of God is with eagerness, right? You eagerly, excitedly, hungrily come to the Word of God. And when you come to the Word of God, you come with expectation. God is going to speak. It's His living and active Word. He's going to speak into our hearts. What's He going to say to me that I need to know today? What's He going to illuminate and identify in my life that I need to pay attention to? And He's going to do that as you value and esteem the Word of God more highly than than any other philosophy, more highly than any other book or opinion. And when you eagerly come with great expectation, lifting up God's word... It's going to move you to exalting him and to worshiping him. And when you exalt him and worship him, then his spirit is going to explain the word of God to you. How often have you come to God's word and it seems so entirely irrelevant, so difficult to understand. Listen, there's not a word in here that is not for us today. You just need to sit in there and let the spirit of God explain it. And as chapter 8 continues, we're going to begin to see the transformation, the change that comes over the people of God. So if you're taking notes this morning, really quickly, there's four points, just cross out the fourth one. Because I made some last minute changes to the sermon. There's three points this morning, here's the first one. The word of God produces grief In us, it produces sorrow in us. When's the last time you've felt grief? Well, Dave and Janine Block, whom I met with last night, they're feeling it now. As his mother passed away, Sigrid, they're over at the Easton Manor Care, cleaning out all of her possessions. That's very, very difficult. They're experiencing it now. When's the last time you've experienced grief? I want you to hold that emotion, that moment into your heart and into your mind for a second. Grief cuts. and It cuts to the heart. And the word of God produces this. There are times when we read God's word and it cuts painfully right to the very depths of our heart. Simply because of this reason. You ready? It's because we're guilty. If you're experiencing grief from the Word of God... Friends, we don't like to say this, but it's because we're guilty. There's something that God is identifying in our lives that He wants to change. He wants to transform. He wants to remove. It's blocking His fellowship with us. If you're experiencing grief from the Word of God, the origin is guilt. And listen, if you're feeling guilty... Now, you got to hear this. Look at me, if you would. If you're feeling guilty... That's a good thing. It means that your life is spiritually alive. A hardened heart doesn't experience guilt. God's word speaks. A hardened heart doesn't react. But let me qualify that. Because God has never ever spoken once that hasn't produced a response in the heart of the hearers. And let me put it this way. You could have... A pile of snow right next to a pile of clay and the same sun comes over the horizon high into the sky and it will produce a response. And in effect, in both piles, one, it begins to melt and the other, it begins to harden. Sometimes when God speaks, our hearts harden. We don't want to submit. We don't want to obey. We don't want to hear what he's saying. And our heart calcifies, it calluses, and it refuses to submit. Other times, God's word speaks. It brings right to the very bottom of the heart grief and all of a sudden a sorrow that leads to repentance. Repentance. And we get to see this grief, this sorrow in verse 9. So let's look at it together. Chapter 8, verse 9. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. This was a holy day. This is the first day of the seventh month of Tishri. This is the day of the Feast of Trumpets. It's a day to remember. Listen, remember what I told you a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago. This is the only one of the seven festivals, holy days, that God commanded that was to take place when there was a bare little moon in the night sky. It was a new moon. That means you could barely see it. It's a small crescent. It's the darkest night of the month. God commands this day to be celebrated in the Feast of Trumpets. The shofar is blowing on the darkest night of the month. Why? Because they're to look back. Listen, we have to do this. You have to look back and remember, the Israelites, that they once were slaves in Egypt. And then they look up to see their deliverer. And they look forward to see his covenantal faithfulness to them. Now listen, when's the last time you've done that? See, we don't do these regular rhythms. This is why we suffer as American Christians. When's the last time that you paused for a day? Maybe on a Sunday, the natural rhythm of most of our pauses. Except for me, because I'm overworked on this day. And there's utterly no pity in any of you. When's the last time you paused and you looked back... And remembered that God has rescued you from the bondage of sin. He's rescued you. You're no longer a slave to sin. You have the freedom to say no. Why? Because Jesus Christ is your deliverer. His death and his burial and his resurrection is the power of the gospel. And it has set you free. And you look forward because God will never ask you to do anything that he's not going to give you the power to do. He has set your life on freedom. Freedom to serve him. When's the last time you paused on that? See, during this day, all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Look at the tense. you got to look at it. As they heard, not after they heard it, As they heard it, God's word was being read. And around and through that great assembly of thousands and thousands of men and women and older children, the growing sound of weeping could be heard. And look what it says. Not a few. Not just, you know, it's like in uh, preaching. Every once in a while I catch this. i always inside. You have no idea what goes on in a pastor's heart when he's preaching. I mean, I think while I preach. I know that sounds contradictory. Dirk is shaking his head no. There are times when I'm preaching and I can see wives give that look to their husbands. Like he's speaking to you, dolt. <laughs> or I can think, I think I can see people looking across the sanctuary probably saying, Lord, I'm glad they're here to hear this. <laughs> Listen, it's not just some of the people who were guilty. Look what it says. All the people wept. All of them were cut to the heart. All of them were experiencing grief. You know, I want to, I want to tell you this. I have contacts. I wear contacts. I have for 26 years, and I use a spin brush toothbrush. Now, what do those two have in common? A few months ago, I got up, and I was on my way to the office. I brushed my teeth. I put the toothpaste on the spin brush, and as I'm bringing it up to my mouth, I turned it on. And I, I, I'm pretty sure I'm the only human on the planet that's ever experienced this. Tooth, the toothpaste spun off the brush right onto my left eyeball. <laughs> I don't know why this stuff happens to me. Probably to wake you up on a Sunday morning, I think. So I'm burning. I, now listen, some of you don't think that's a big deal. I'm going to put toothpaste on your eyeball and see what it feels like. <laughs> this burns instantly. And I have contacts. And I always use my, I always use, I'm gonna, listen, I'm coming to you in a minute, dentist. You just be quiet, let me get to you. I'm using my right finger to take my contact out, but there's toothpaste on my right finger. So now it's burning and I'm washing my hands, I can't get it out, I gotta open up my contact case and then I get it out and then I'm splashing my eye. The whole, the whole time I'm thinking, my dentist never warned me of this. And yes, he's sitting in this sanctuary right now, and probably, likely, I could have a successful lawsuit against him. <laughs> but he can make me pay very very easily, I'm sure. Listen, I never saw that coming. There are times when you get into the Word of God, and all of a sudden, the Word of God comes right into you, and it sears right into the very bottom of your heart, and you're, you're struck with grief. This is what's happening to the people of God in this massive square before the water gate. It's the power of the living and active word of God. By the way, it's through the word of God that Paul writes in Romans 3.20 that we we gain knowledge of sin. Listen, if you don't see your sin, you're not in here. If you are in here regularly, you're going to see what is displeasing to God and it's going to create a measure of grief in your life. It's through the law comes the knowledge of sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Have you ever experienced the sorrow that the Word of God can bring? Have you? For the word of God is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and the, and the intentions of the heart. You know what that's saying? It says this, God performs surgery on our hearts. You know what he uses for a scalpel? It's the word of God. And he's the great physician. He's the great physician. That's his title. One of his titles in the Bible. He's the great physician. He knows exactly how deep to cut. He knows exactly what needs to be excised out of our hearts. He knows how to wield the scalpel. And he will never cut more deeply than is necessary. Now listen. And whenever God performs his surgery, he's giving you the anesthesia of his grace. Do you hear that? When he shows us our sin... Through his word, listen, his grace is already flowing through our spiritual veins. That's our merciful God. But let me show you one more way that the word of God works. Remember what we've learned? You've got to hold on to this because this is central in this chapter. When the Bible talks about water that quenches thirst, it's symbolizing the power of of the Holy Spirit. But when the, when the Bible talks about water as a cleansing agent, it's not symbolizing the Spirit of God at that point. It's symbolizing the Word of God. And you get to see this in Ephesians 5. Christ loved the church. He gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, set her apart as holy, having cleansed her by what? The washing of water with the Word. God cleans us by his word. God brings the old desires out, brings new desires in by the power of his word. In fact, that verse in Ephesians 5, the word washing, is the Greek word "laver." Why am I telling you that? Well, let's go back to the tabernacle days. Because in the tabernacle, there was this bronze laver, this basin And it was filled with water and the priests would come to that water and they would purify themselves or they would die. If they ministered the sacrifices defiled, they would die. And God said, this is a lasting ordinance to continue forever. So it's the one who has clean hands and the one who has a pure heart who can stand in God's presence, according to Psalm 24. And God makes his people clean through the death of his son. He keeps us clean through his word. Did you hear that? He makes us clean through the death of his son. That's called positional holiness. He keeps us clean through his word. Do you know how the bronze labor was made? This is so interesting to me. Ladies, you'll really appreciate this. They took their looking glasses. They took their mirrors. All they had were highly polished metal for mirrors. They didn't have glass. They took their looking glasses and they brought them and they smelted them down and reformed them and shaped them into a bronze basin. And it's why Calvin speaks or spoke so much that God's word is a mirror. And when we look into his word, listen, it reflects for us. It reveals for us God's perfection. When you read the word of God, you see God's moral perfection. You see his love. You see his grace. You see his holiness. You see his mercy. You see his omniscience and his omnipotence and his omnipresence. You see, he's he's everywhere at once. This is God's perfected glory revealed through the scripture, but then all of a sudden God takes his word and he then looks to you as a mirror and all of a sudden we get to see our imperfections. I have a friend that doesn't want any mirrors in the house. My friend doesn't want to see the imperfections. Listen, we don't like the mirror of God's Word very often because it's going to show us what is not pleasing to God. You look up, you see His perfections, you look in, and all of a sudden God's Word shines the light on what's not pleasing to Him. And some of us end there. And we close the Bible saying it's too painful. I've had person after person tell me, Pastor Tim, I love your preaching, but it's too painful, it's too convicting. Well, you got to get back into the Word of God. And I've got to preach rightly. They get you back to the grace of God. you got to get to the mercies of God. The Word of God looks up, it looks in, and then it directs your eyes up. So that you can see that God is beautiful. God is gracious. His mercies are new every morning. And he's not going to leave you in that sorrow. He's not going to leave you in the grief. Look at the word of God. He says, Nehemiah does, do not mourn or weep. There's an end point. We'll talk about that more in a minute. The second point this morning is the word of God produces giving in us. First, the word of God produces grief. Now the word of God is producing giving. It's aiming at transformation And every heart is going to respond. It's either going to harden, like I said earlier, like Pharaoh's, or it's going to melt like Moses's. Then he said to him, verse 10, look what he says. Nehemiah, go your way, eat the fat, drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. This is Nehemiah speaking. And what he tells them is basically this. Eat, drink, drink. And be merry. Eat the fat. You know what that means? It means eat the best cuts of the meat. Get the prime and get the filet. Listen, you know when I knew that my dad was not able to have work, he was a contractor, when there was no work coming, we started pulling out the cube steak and the powdered milk. If one of you has me over and serves me cube steak, I will not not eat it. I will love you. Inwardly, I may struggle. It was not the meal of choice when we were growing up. This is not cube steak. Pull out the best meats. Pull out the sweet wine, not the stuff that's going bitter. Get the best of the wine. Why? Because this meal on this day was to provoke joy in their God who has given them everything. That's what a holy day was to be. It was a day of celebration. But what's interesting, however, look what it says. They were told to send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. Listen, if you're going to be a student of God's word, it's going to widen your heart. It's not only going to deepen it, it's going to widen it. And all of a sudden your eyes are going to see what I saw last night in our coffee house. And that is a woman sitting all by herself while there was so much fellowship going on. That drives me crazy. It's going to widen your heart so that you see people who do not have what you have. And your hearts are going to give. And you're going to bring them what they need. You're going to have compassion. Send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. You know why they did that? Well, Ezra and the 13 men on that platform had just read to them the first five books of the Bible and undoubtedly got to Deuteronomy because in Deuteronomy it says this, when you reap your harvest... ...in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It's for the sojourner. It's for the fatherless, the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the works of your hands. Their hearts are widening. When you beat your olive trees, you know, you shake the branches and the olives fall. Don't go over them again. Leave some of the olives on the branch. It's for the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow... And when you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterward. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember you were a slave in the land of Egypt, therefore I command you. When you remember because you've looked back to see what desperate condition you were in in your sin, you'll look forward to those who are the greatest of sinners and you will bring compassion. The word of God... Produces grief. Now listen. The word of God produces giving. But the word of God does one more thing. At least. Produces gladness. Grief, giving, and gladness. You know it was probably. I believe I was in the sixth grade. And what I'm about to tell you. Launched. Two years of my life. Where I could not get into the word of God enough. It was an insatiable desire for God's Word. Sixth grade, what happened was this. I'm back laying on my bed, and I I was a comic book collector. I was a comic book fan. And for whatever reason, I wanted to read... The story of Samson. It's 10 o'clock at night. I remember I'm laying on my left side. I'm on my single twin mattress bed. I'm trying to find Samson. I cannot find Samson. I'm looking and I'm looking finally in frustration. I go out to the kitchen. I get either a glass of milk or a glass of juice. I came back with the glass. And there my Bible had fallen on the floor next to my bed. Picked it back up, laid back down in bed, and right where I had opened it was the life of Samson. You know what that did to me, a sixth grade boy? God could not have sat on my bed and said any more clearly, Tim, love my word. Love my word. Here's a gift from me. That touched off for me about two years where it was intense, powerful love for God's word. Every morning, every night, I was at least a half hour in God's word. I just was driven to it. Nobody told me I needed to do that. I don't remember a a youth pastor ever telling me, you got to be in the word. I don't remember my parents reminding me every night, be in the word. It was just something internally motivating me to be in God's word. And to this day, while that has ebbed and flowed, I've never lost my love for God's word. Listen, I don't know any I've never read of any person that has done great things in God's kingdom without loving God's word. If you want to be used by God, then you've got to be a student and a lover of God's word. There's no way around it. The word of God produces this gladness in us. It produced sorrow so that we would repent. It widens our heart with compassion and giving for others. But here we see, we see that the aim of God's word is that the Christian would be filled with great joy. Look what Nehemiah verse 10 says. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people saying, be quiet, This day is holy. Do not be grieved. This is the Feast of Trumpets. It's a holy day. Likely they're rediscovering the Word of God, lost in their exile. In Babylon and then Persia, they're rediscovering the beauty of God's word. But I want you to remember this. Nehemiah, if you remember from chapter 2, Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. Likely, that meant he was the third most powerful person in the most powerful nation on the planet and there was a law in persia that went like this and it was like, it was in effect for most ancient kingdoms you never ever appear before the king with sadness on your face you know why especially as a cupbearer because it might indicate you're in a plot to assassinate him you had to have joy you had to have cheerfulness They didn't want somebody coming into the king's presence and bringing his spirit down. It was a law on the records. You must appear before the king with happiness on your face. It was illegal to do anything otherwise. So Nehemiah knows, listen, God's not about glum people. He's not producing dour Christians. He wants joy-filled people of God. In fact, Warren Wiersbe, commentator, once said, It is as wrong to mourn when God has forgiven as it is to rejoice when sin has conquered. The sinner has no reason for rejoicing and the forgiven child of God has no reason for mourning. Sometimes, friend, listen, sometimes we've got to say to our spirit, do not be grieved, what it says in the text. Because holiness in gloom... They don't go well together. And the Christian shouldn't be living in despair. And the night of conviction and guilt should quickly break to the dawn of mercy and forgiveness. That's what the psalmist says. For his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. When the word of God strikes deeply with the scalpel and produces grief, it must move back to joy quickly. It's gracious that God himself would even point out what's robbing you of peace and robbing you of joy. Because God wants us to celebrate his faithfulness. He he doesn't want us to grieve. He wants us us to rejoice in his mercy, not weep. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth, the psalmist writes. Friends, this is the aim of God's word. I want to ask us this morning, just to be honest. Are we full of joy? It's not happiness. It's not happy to go through trials. I'm not happy when I'm suffering. Is there enduring fellowship with God that produces unalterable peace, that brings a quietness to the spirit that looks up continually? That's joy. David wrote, or actually, Jeremiah wrote, Your words were found, and I ate them, and your words became to me a joy and a delight of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. This brings joy. David wrote that the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. This brings joy. We have a lot of eors in the church. There are. Let's just be honest. They're Eeyores in the church. They're walking around with this cloud of God's displeasure over their heads. I don't see joy on them. What a great testimony. Hey, I'm a Christian and I hope you come to church. And experiencing God's wonderful grace with us. What? It is contradictory. There ought to be joy in our hearts that are settled and resolute peace. Let me bring it home even a little bit more because this is what I deal with in counseling. If you see your sin more than you see God's grace, then God's work has not yet freed you. Did you hear that? If you see your sin more than you see God's grace, then God's word has not yet freed you. Sin gazing without mercy watching makes the most miserable of Christians. We should be filled with joy that God in his mercy, though none of us deserved it, none of us have earned it. He has chosen to forgive us and set his eternal love upon us. Friends, the joyless Christian is the weak Christian. And look at verse 10 right at the end. The joy of the Lord is your strength. That is a noun. Joy is a noun. It is God's joy. It's His possession and He will give it to us for our strength. It's a natural outcome when you're in fellowship with God and when you love His Word. Look at, look at verse 12. All, you gotta see this. This is amazing. All the people make great, uh, skip it a little bit, to make great rejoicing. Why? Because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Let me read it again. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing. Why? Here's the reason. Because they had understood the words that were declared to them. God's joy is a noun. Great rejoicing is a verb. His joy creates great rejoicing. That's the way the word of God works do you love God's word is it a treasure for you the psalmist says your word is a treasure you know what that was from they were in agrarian society and they would plow their hardened ground And if you were plowing your your ground and all of a sudden you unearthed a jar of gold that somebody had hid generations before, all of a sudden there's a treasure that has come to the surface. And you might be saying, well, listen, I think that's what I experienced this last week. I've read this passage a dozen times and all of a sudden God shed light on this. Well, that's because you plowed it. You plowed it through reading it, through meditating on it, through memorizing the Word of God. And all of a sudden, God brought to the surface, though you've done it for years and years, that same passage, you see something new this time because the Word of God is bottomless. There is no end to it. You will never exhaust the Word of God. In all of eternity, you will still not plumb the depths and land on the bottom. It's a living and active supernatural book. You plow it, he brings treasures to bear. Do you love the word of God? Do you treasure the word of God? And do you look in that mirror and do you see God's greatness And when God turns that mirror to you, do you see reflected the areas that you're not really pleasing God in? And is there a removing it, returning it back to God and saying, your grace is already flowing through my veins or you never would have shown me it. If God's showing your sins, his grace is already at work. Let me close with an excerpt from the book of James. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer. Listen, if you hear this sermon and you don't put something into effect that God is saying to. Then you're going to be like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. He looks in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. You know, you got to understand Again, they didn't have glass mirrors when James wrote this. That highly polished metal. It was almost like looking at a still body of water on a sunny day. It would reveal your outline in maybe just a little bit. Of your face, But you could not see it clearly. You look at it, you walk away, you forget. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, the word of God, and perseveres, does not give up. I don't understand this passage. Well, eagerly approach, lift it up, exalt God, esteem it highly. Expect God to explain it, and the Spirit of God will explain it. Stay in it, don't give up. He perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts he will be blessed in his doing. We have a lady, a group of ladies who are going through the Bible in a year. There's 18 of them. Men, I'm going to call us out for a second. Listen, why do the ladies have to keep setting the pace for us? I see women in this church who love God's word more than men over and over and over. Man, be a leader. Be a leader. Lead your family, your children, your wife. These ladies are in the word of God. They are studying. Their goal is to make it through the word of God in a year. Helen's not giving me any details. Van Summer, she leads this, but she says, I can't believe the treasures that are coming to the surface for these ladies. I can't wait to, the, to get together again the following week. Lady after lady that I'm talking to that are in this, they're telling me what God is bringing to the surface. It is precious. It is life-giving. It is joy-giving. It is life-changing. It is transformational. It's the power of the Word of God. And until we are the people of God's Word, we will live defeated lives. What is God telling you that needs to change? immediately it's on the bottom of your notes what do you need to apply immediately what do you need to apply immediately let's pray lord thank you so much for your word thank you father for the power of your word may it be working in our hearts lord as we learn to love your word and make it our treasure lord i pray that we would hear story after story of your word changing us Lord, uh, grief giving at times, cutting us when it needs to cut, but Lord, your grace will bear us up through that surgery, teaching us how to give, how to love, how to be compassionate. And Father, giving us great, great joy. Lord, I pray that gladness would be in the hearts of your people in this church. Help us to love your word, be the people of your word. Help us with that, we ask and pray. In Jesus' name, amen.